You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Perhaps because it's the fifth Tuesday of the month, I became convinced that tonight was the first Tuesday of the month and that it was newcomers night. And so I was going to put aside the series that we've been working on, guidelines for studying the way, and talk about something else. And I, I fished around and I got a really great prompt. And the question was, why don't you talk about what it is that makes this Buddhist as opposed to a secular meditation practice. When we sit down and we're doing this, what's, what's going on here that makes that different from something else? And I thought, okay, I, I can talk about that. I'll talk about that. And then I realized it wasn't Newcomer's Night. So I went back to the series that we've been looking at and found that the next part of the series is exactly what I was going to talk about to answer that question. So I can't get out of this, and neither can you. The question is, again, what makes this Buddhist? We're just sitting. We're just sitting still, and we're just breathing. It's, you could almost fall into this by accident. It's a really good question. And we need to qualify it a little bit at first because Buddhism is huge. And so what I'm going to say now doesn't apply. It isn't the thing that makes something Buddhist, but it makes, it's the thing that makes it, for our purposes, Zen Buddhist practice. And it's this, it's very, very simple. In this context, in this Tradition, what you are invited to do is to sit in this way with your hands like this and your back like this and your eyes like this and you're breathing this way and you're staring at the wall for no gain. None. It makes no sense and it's completely counterintuitive. And I understand in saying that that it's not always true. Anyone who comes through this door wants something. Even if they can't name what it is that they want, they want something. I did. That's natural. But in other contexts, in other traditions, and in, in uh, more secular versions of this as well, part of the narrative is explicitly, this is what you're going to get, right? You're going to become more calm, for example. Let's use that as a really easy one. Now, as soon as I say that, there's a measuring stick. There's a way that you can determine if you're doing this right or if you're doing it wrong, right? Because if you sit down and you become more calm, you're doing it right. If you sit down and you don't become more calm, you're failing. 
or this is a scam. Well, it could be either one, right? And what naturally happens then is, let's say that it works for you. You, you want to be calm and you become calm. Then two things might happen. One, you might continue to come because it seems that you've kind of found your drug. Or you might quit coming because you feel like, well, now I figured that out. I get that. So why would I come every Tuesday night? I think a lot of people do both. They get the first idea for a while, and then they get the second one, and then they disappear. But it just so happens that this was, this was on Dogen's mind as well tonight. And so he writes in Guidelines for Studying the Way, and I'm not going to read this whole section to you this time because it, it takes too long and I want to hit the high points. But, the, but he starts out with this. You should not practice Buddha's teaching with the idea of gain. Easier said than done. But it can at least raise the question right there. What do you think you might get? Now, it, in the example I just used, it might be something very concrete. It might be something basic. It might be that you're trying to... Uh, deal with a health condition, right? something very measurable. If you're coming to this and you know that you're coming into a Buddhist context, what you want may be harder to measure and it may be more, you know, spiritual. But it's really the same thing. If you come in and you think, well, I, I'm doing this because I want wisdom. I'm doing this because uh, everybody keeps talking about compassion. I want some of that. Huh? I want to be the kind of person that I saw on TV. I saw an interview with the Dalai Lama. He has something I want. I want to get that. You can ask yourself right now, what is it? Because there's an answer. The practice of Buddha's teaching is always done by receiving the essential instructions of a master, not by following your own ideas. In fact, Buddha's teaching cannot be attained by having ideas or not having ideas. Only when the mind of pure practice coincides with the way will body and mind be calm. If body and mind are not yet calm, they will not be at ease. When body and mind are not at ease, Thorns grow on the path of realization. It sounds like he's saying, if you meditate, you'll be calm, which is exactly what I just said is not the case. That's not what's being said here. He's talking about a kind of settling in. There's this dissonance between what you want and what you're doing. And he's saying that as long as there's a tension between these two things, then you haven't quite found it. You haven't quite found that practice. If you're probing it and you're saying, well, wh what do I get from this? What, what, if I, what if I tweak it? What's that? Then there's, there's a kind of, there's a gap, right? There's you and there's practice. 
These are two separate things. But as you start to let go of this, as you start to let go of this list, often not because of some great process of maturity, often it's because we forget, you know. For whatever reason, we stay. And we do this a lot. And we start to not measure it so much. And as we let go of that measurement, we start to discover that it's, it's changing. Maybe not changing, but we're seeing something we didn't see. We're seeing past what we were asking of it. So that pure practice and the way coincide, how should we proceed? Proceed with the mind which neither grasps nor rejects, the mind, mind unconcerned with name or gain. Do not practice Buddha Dharma with the thought that it is to benefit others. I love this. Name or gain, it's a phrase that comes up all the time. That these are the two kinds of grasping. Right? Gain could be anything. Anything. From being calm to being more compassionate to being whatever. And fame, for our purposes, he's sometimes, you know, one way to understand a lot of what he's saying, he's talking about monks. He's speaking to monks and he's saying, you know, don't set yourself up so that you're a big shot. But in terms of our lives, we can also understand, don't do this for credit. Right? From you or someone else. Do you give yourself points when you meditate? Be honest. Do you get a gold star if you remember to do it? Do you think maybe you get a gold star from someone else? There's a great phenomenon that I've witnessed among uh, people who, you know, because of busy schedules, aren't able to come all the time. Maybe they can only come every six weeks or so. Or maybe they live a little bit outside of town. And, and eventually someone will say, oh, you know, I, I feel bad because I know that, I know everybody else is coming all the time. They show up one night and they look around and they see this group of people and they think, these people have always been here, not me. From where I sit, that's really funny. Nobody knows. You're not losing points by being the person who doesn't show up. And if you think that by being here every night, you are getting points, that's a delusion. Nobody notices that either. Anybody who ever misses a night is convinced that everyone else was there. And anyone who never misses a night thinks, surely I glow. Surely everyone sees. People in the present world, even those practicing the Buddha Dharma, have a mind which is far apart from the way. They practice what others praise and admire even though they know it does not accord with the way. Or they reject and do not practice what others fail to honor and praise, even though they know it is the true way. How painful. What's important here is he keeps allowing for the possibility that you can, do, you can be practicing Buddha Dharma, you can be practicing Buddhism and still getting it wrong. 
that on the surface you can be doing all of it. Clearly, Buddha Dharma is not practiced for one's own sake, and even less for the sake of fame and profit. Just for the sake of Buddha Dharma, you should practice it. And I've talked a lot about that, about what it is to practice something for its own sake, so I'm going to let that one go right now. But here, here we get to something I really, really I love, and I'm, I was excited to talk about tonight. All Buddha's compassion and sympathy for sentient beings are neither for their own sake nor for others. It is just the nature of Buddha Dharma. Isn't it apparent that insects and animals nurture their offspring, exhausting themselves with painful labors, yet in the end have no reward when their offspring are grown? In this way, the compassion of small creatures for their offspring naturally resembles the thought of all Buddhas, for sentient beings. This is great. And if you're coming to this practice with a particular idea about what this feels like or what this looks like, this should probably be a little bit disturbing. This is a radical way of talking about compassion. Because when we imagine compassion, we imagine that our hearts are warm, right? If I'm going to cultivate compassion, I'm going to get something out of it. I may not phrase it that way to myself. I may not think that that's what I'm doing, but I imagine that if I'm going to radiate something to other people, well, I'm going to feel that. I'm going to feel this, this glow. Right? And so his example is an insect. And he says, look, insects take care of their young. And then their young leave. That's compassion. He puts it completely, completely on action. Completely. The measuring stick has nothing to do in this analogy with the quality of your heart, with the vision in your mind, with, with your ability to hold some sort of creature in a loving way. He says, that's not the point. You do it, you get no reward, and you don't get to understand the other person's reward. I watched my dad take care of my mom for years before she died and watched as she lost the ability to do really anything for herself. And if I had not watched that, I think this phrase would bother me more. But if you have been a caregiver or if you, if you have witnessed that process, you understand it's not warm and fuzzy. Not all the time, and in some cases, not some of the time. You can resent it. You can regret the conditions that led you to being where you are with that responsibility. You can swear and curse under your breath. What Dogen is saying is, in this situation, compassion, this compassion that we think we're looking for, compassion is that you wake up the next day and you do it again. And you feed that person, even though this is not what you want. 
and you help that person get in and out of a chair, even though that person is really not in a position anymore, to thank you. Or that person is so consumed with their own difficulty and their own pain that they can't, they can't find the gratitude that you want, right? You're dying for the person to look you in the eyes and say, thank you, thank you. You're the one who's making it better. And they might not. But you do it again the next day. And you do it again the next day. You act. This is doing something for its own sake. Not because it fits into a narrative. Not because it makes you feel better. And not because it makes someone else feel better. But because you see what needs to be done and you do it. That's hard. The inconceivable dharma of all Buddhas is not compassion alone, but compassion is the basis of the various teachings that appear universally. Already we are children of the Buddhas. Why not follow their lead? It's a really interesting statement. He's saying this isn't just about compassion, but he's also saying this can't exist without it. To go back to the original question, one of the things that we do with this practice is we kind of, we nest it. You know? So we never just sit. We sit and we stare at the wall and we breathe, but then we get up and we say out loud with our mouths, I have a responsibility to all beings. I have a responsibility to see through delusion. I have a responsibility to take every opportunity to do the first two things. I have a responsibility to express these responsibilities in every word and gesture. We say it. And just to make the point, after we say it, we bow to the ground <laughs> to drive it home. And then the next day we come back and we sit again. We couch that simple action in the language of compassion, in the language of offering, in the language of responsibility. And we let those two play off of one another. And then here's the last bit of this section. And when I, when I typed this up the first time, I, I wrote it in all caps and in bold. <laughs> students, there's an exclamation mark. Students, do not practice Buddha Dharma for your own sake. Do not practice Buddha Dharma for name and gain. Do not practice Buddha Dharma to attain miraculous effects. Practice Buddha Dharma solely for the sake of Buddha Dharma. This is the way. If it were shorter, it could be a bumper sticker. Do not do this for your own sake. 
And if you don't know how not to do that, then take that up as a question. At least ask yourself, what does that mean? And the first step in asking that question is to ask yourself, what do I want? Really, if I'm really, really, really honest. What am I looking for? Get that out there. See it. If you can see it, then you can see it slip away. You can see it dissolve. You can see your relationship to it change. Do not practice Buddha Dharma to, for name and gain. Don't even imagine that you have an audience for this. And don't be the audience for this. Do not practice Buddha Dharma to attain miraculous effects. And we can include in this miraculous effects the, ident- the idea that you're benefiting others. Let go of the idea that you're sitting here and shining like the sun upon the world. And let me be clear, I'm not going to sit here and say that you're not. I'm just saying, let it go. (laughs) I don't know about the other part. Practice Buddha Dharma solely for the sake of Buddha Dharma. This is the way. And I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.